Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello. Today is April 3rd, I think. Third. Uh, <laughs> we literally just yeah, said well, that. Well, please let me continue. Um, today is April 3rd, and we've got a pretty good show for you today. We're going to be talking about um, conferences and sort of writer-adjacent industries and things like that, I mean, how we feel they affect the writing world and how they affect the publishing world. Um, but first, why don't we do the basic rundown, huh? Yes, of course. So our query show, which is our which is our show specifically where we go through queries. Imagine that, mm-hmm. uh, which is available just for our Patreon subscribers. Will go live next Thursday. That is April thirteenth. Our first pages show, where it's basically exactly the same thing, except we go through first pages instead of queries mm-hmm. by listeners like you. Will go live April twenty seventh. So there's still time for you to get your queries and first pages in. Send them to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, so, so where do we start? We've got some news this week. We've got some news. Um, we've got some news that makes me feel like <laughs> I haven't accomplished anything. Well, that's that's fair. Um, that's also how I feel. So what do we got? Uh, so, so last, or I guess this week, this week, last week, whatever. In the last seven days, news has broke about Macmillan and also Fox 2000 um, brokering like a ridiculous deal for a 23-year-old author's debut trilogy. So hold on. Before you, before you tell me how much this deal is worth, let's – so what are what are the parameters? So we've got a 23-year-old author. She's never written a book before. Her book is it's, a African-inspired fantasy novel. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I shouldn't actually say African-inspired because Africa is an entire continent. <laughs> um, but yeah. it is a it is set in. So I haven't read the book, obviously, yeah. because it's not out yet. Right. But it's set in some sort of uh, fantasy world that is inspired by some sort of culture in Africa. I'm not entirely sur- sure which one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called Children of Blood and Bone, or at least the first book is. It is a trilogy. Um, it is being called a, quote, Black Lives Matter-inspired fantasy. Hmm. Um, yeah. So there's magic. There's you know, dark skinned people who Some are marginalized social against, justice yep, stuff. Marginalized against white skinned people. Like and there's it's, it's yeah, the the author is Nigerian American. Uh-huh. Um and there's three of these books. There's this is a series or yes, a trilogy, I guess. Correct. All right, what did what did Macmillan pay for these books? Uh for three books, Macmillan paid three million dollars. Ooh man. <laughs> for a debut no- <laughs> Can you imagine being twenty three years old and writing a novel and then realizing that like a big five publishers paying you three million dollars. Three million. So like, but that's not it. Yeah, that's not that's it. That's not it. The uh, Fox for the film rights uh-huh. paid her a million dollars. Wow. Well, so that's she's wild. got four million dollars coming down the pipeline minimum. So that speaks. That must. That speaks to something, right? Like you don't just hand three million dollars to someone um, for three books, not just one. Like you're on the hook for three of these things, um, without. Really feeling like you, you're strong, you know, you've got something that's like a surefire hit. Um, and it's interesting that this would be a surefire hit, right? Like, I mean, I guess we, you know, we've talked about, you know, The Hate You Give uh, by Angie Thomas in the past, which I think probably has some similar themes to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's contemporary and this is fantasy. Interesting. From what I hear about this, and I, I'm close friends with an editor who 
tried was in the bidding war for yeah. this and lost out. Do you know what they bid? Uh, Can we talk about that? I don't know what oh. they bid. Um, but I do know that it wasn't three, three, it wasn't three million dollars. <laughs> it was not three million dollars. But it was from yeah. another big five. Yeah. Um, and I also know the editor who is going to be editing this book. And so I haven't talked to her about it yet, but I'm no I'm pressure. excited to I know, sorry Tiff. <laughs> um yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see what will happen. I do know that it is going to be published by a brand new imprint. Um really? an imprint, yeah, that Christian Trimmer just got. Um yeah, Holt, Henry Holt Books for Young Readers. So he just kind of I'm not sure if it's a brand new imprint, but he just took over it and mm. um Tiff Liao came over from Razorbill specifically to work sure. at this imprint. So it's a brand new imprint. This is going to be like their flagship and they book. They paid for the book. They huh? paid for it. Man. Yeah. So, but from everything I hear, this book is not only very topical, mm-hmm. but it is impeccably written. Well, I think you, it better be impeccably written, and I'm sure that it is. Like, I have no doubt that this book is great. But she's 23, um, and I'm like, so to- mad at that. But, well, yeah. <laughs> but like, topical doesn't get you three mil. Like, you got to, you know, it's got to be like a mix of, um, you know, there's got to be really something special going on here. So this will be, I think, an interesting one, interesting one to, yeah. to watch. I should, before, is, before we move on, I mean, we're absolutely going to, like, turn this into, like, a a children of blood and bone watch. <laughs> you know, like, when it comes out, I'll read it. Maybe I yeah. can even get my hand on a on an arc. Who knows? I'm trying to think, when was the, what was the last, um, like, super big advance that we that we've had like that. I mean, there have been some, but like I remember, like when City on Fire, um, that one got two million, and that was debut fiction. Woof. But man, three mil for for a YA are YA novels like? Have you heard? Have you heard of anything this big? They're money makers. They're I mo- mean, yeah. I I don't know what Angie got. I know that six figures is considered pretty. Pretty good. I know yeah. that I know that a lot of established YA authors get get really significant advances. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a debut. I mean, that's not that's not genre specific. I mean, like a really yeah. big debut. Yeah. It's always going to surprise people, mm-hmm. no matter what what category and what genre they're in. And that's always where there's I feel like the most variable in terms of like that's where advances could really fluctuate. Because it's so much based on feeling and instinct as opposed to, like, author track record. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't really know how well the author is going to sell. You don't really know. So, like... Especially if, when it's a bidding war. Exactly. So, like, if someone in the room has a really strong feeling, that's kind of what you're going on, you know? It's not as though you've got a bunch of hard data you can look at to make these kind of decisions. Um, but it'll be interesting. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, if a book like this works, like, you know, we've talked before in the past on the show about... Um, you know, the way to sort of turn the tide in publishing and kind of get more, you know, inclusion of, you know, various kinds of voices and perspectives is to really start throwing money behind some stuff. And not only that, but have it actually be successful. Yeah. You know, this feels like one of those chances um, where someone could say, actually, it is worth spending a a lot of money or it is worth trying to seek out these kind of books because they can sort of be, especially if this is like a flagship thing for a new imprint, you know? Yeah. It's kind of cool. It'll be worth seeing. And it should be mentioned that this book... This book, their it, its deal was announced after the hit you give is celebrating its fourth week in the number one spot of the New York yeah. Times bestseller list. Is there any? So let me play devil's advocate for a second. I know we're spending way too long on this, but it's fascinating um, to me at least. Um, is there any sort of like knee-jerk reaction happening to that? Do you think? Do you feel like? Oh, let me ask you this. Like, do you feel that 
The Hate You Give came up at all in the meeting deciding what they wanted to bid for Probably. this Probably. Yeah. And it, I don't think See, it's I do necessarily – I don't think it's necessarily a knee-jerk reaction, but I yeah. think it's more of a – you know, a – a, a yes you know yeah. it's kind of like a flag yeah. waving at the front saying oh yes you can spend money on this because yeah. this is also remind you what's happening this month iron fist which is whitewash tanked so the <laughs> ghost in the shell like all of these uh, all of these remakes that that are that you know basically whitewashed right. characters of color right. have failed yeah and so we're seeing this trend not only in books but we're seeing it in television we're seeing it in movies and so I feel like now that there's a lot of there's a lot of anic- there's a lot of anecdotal and also like numerical evidence supporting the fact that like these books can sell. Well, all this stuff, yeah, that's a I mean that's a great and point. And this comes after Moonlight won the best best yeah. picture Oscar. Like the, yeah. like there's this is the time is right. So I feel like it it's not necessarily knee jerk reaction saying we want a book with black characters yeah. and we want a book about color and 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 race and all of that entails but i think it's a great book that happens to be at the right time sure um and you know publishers are pretty risk averse people right and so so much of these decisions are made on precedent which means that you know if something like this gets acquired and it succeeds it's the sort of thing that will sort of pave the way for people being a lot less scared of certain types of book moving forward. And obviously the dangerous side of that coin is that people don't really like, like people don't really like chasing failures. Yeah. And so like this book got a $3 million advance and that's great, but like we should all root pretty hard for it to succeed because if it doesn't, like that's, you know, that's going to get looked at as a reason, you know, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, I think in terms of pure publishing, um, like the publishing case and trends and stuff, there's like a lot to watch here. Um, and it'll be interesting, and I hope that it does well. Yeah. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Before we move on, I just wanna, I realize that we haven't said the author's name yet, and I feel like we're <laughs> really? missing that. Um, yeah, so the author, and I apologize if I get it a little bit wrong, it just entered, uh, this author just entered the kind of like public sphere, yeah. and so I haven't quite yeah. heard it said yet. Um, but Tomi Adeyemi. Okay. So Nigerian American writer, 23 years old, super excited to see what she does. Go get him, Tommy. Woo! <laughs> now, kind of uh, switching tacks a little yeah. bit, we have a bit that we haven't had in a while. <laughs> the publishing death knell of the week, um, <laughs> um, which is great because publishing, as everyone who's familiar at all um, with the industry knows, it's constantly proclaiming itself to be on the way out, and everyone's constantly telling me that the print book is dying. Um, but we have one today um, that sort of struck me as a really interesting thing, and it's someone it was a tweet actually, and so it's not as though we're reporting any news here or have any real um, you know new insight. But um, someone tweeted out a guy named uh, Paul Shapiro at Fido F I G H T O, just so you know the guy gets his credit for tweeting this out. Um, some pictures of, I guess, bookshelves at the Amazon brick and mortar. Uh, yeah, bookstore. I think it's in is it in Portland or is it in Seattle? I can't remember. I don't remember. Um, one of those. <laughs> one of those cities that we just kind of treat as all the same. Um, but they so here are the categories that there's some books on the shelves, right? And you can think of how you know shelves are usually organized in your you know in a Barnes and Noble or your favorite bookstore. Um, here we go. One shelf here is called Page Turners, um, and the quote under it is "Books Kindle readers finish in three days or less." Um, there's another shelf called Highly Rated Fiction on Goodreads. 
because Goodreads is now an Amazon company, mm-hmm. FYI. Yep. And there's another shelf here called Books with More Than 10,000 Reviews on Amazon.com. And then there's another shelf here called Fiction Top Sellers in Boston. So I think this this was taken in Boston, sure. Eric. Yeah. <laughs> great, great detective work here. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But so what strikes me here is, you know, we've talked about genre on this show before, but Amazon has no need for that. You know, Amazon, you know, has set up these shelves and they've decided that the best way to sell a book is to disregard genre, is to disregard those things. It's to make it entirely about consumer experience, right? And to take that algorithm like, that's so proprietary that they change exactly. constantly. And it's and make and turn it kind of into these physical shelves as opposed to these online pages. And it just it dispenses, I think, with the fallacy that um, categories are anything more than a means to sell books. So I think you know when you talk about you know genre and categories, you know there's two ways you have to talk about it, right? There's the idea of, you know, sort of arts criticism or literary criticism where books get talked about in a certain way to further some sort of, like, ap- academic or, crit- you know, critical discussion. But then there's the other way, and I think this is the way that, um, you know, booksellers use and publishers use, which is how, how best to sell a book, right? Like, these terms we've come up with, you know, YA and all the, you know, all these things and, you know, various genres and various, you know, levels of reader and stuff, it's all to be able to better communicate um, preferences to readers, right? And what you're seeing Amazon do here, I think, is dispensing with the fallacy that categories are anything more than a means to sell books. They're, they basically decided that, you know, this arts criticism stuff, all this, you know, well, is a book literary or not, you know, like we talked about, they don't care if a book is literary or not. They, because it's a useless conversation to them in terms of how best to sell product. And it's, they're basically taking all this like sentimental and arts-based book discussion and doing away with it in a very functional sense. You know, these stuff, you know, all these, you know, categories that they've come up with, very few of them are book specific. I guess like page turners, you know, is a book, you know, but even that is purely based on um, the duration of consumer habit. Yeah. You know I, what I, mean? I bet that, you know, I think that that's kind of like a equivalent to a show that you binge watch. Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. And like, or you've got, you know, highly, you've got two, you know, you've got highly rated fiction on Goodreads, you know, you've got, um, you know, pr- uh, these other ones are purely based on consumer reviews on their website, right? It's like, these might as well be blenders, is kind of my point. Like, this stuff is being sold, you know, with no real regard for whether or not they're books, whether or not they're pieces of art. And I think that's really interesting. And I think when you think about Amazon in a larger sense, you know, why, you know, books are a tiny part of Amazon's business, right? Like, why did they decide to go brick and mortar so early with books, right? And I think it's because books are one of the few goods they sell that people actually want to experience buying, like, in person, you know? People like going to bookstores more than they like going to stores for any other good they might buy on Amazon. I don't need to get my like cold weather running headband exactly. at a store. <laughs> but what you're but what you're going to see as you know what and when I look at these categories and, I, and on the one hand I see some real innovation here. It's like okay, this probably is a better way to sell a lot of these books because I think people interact with Amazon in this way, not based on what our conventional understanding of genre is, right? But as this becomes the norm, you're going to see these things get pushed more and more like products and not books. You know, these things are going to become much less about writing and art and message and more about just algorithm. And, you know, you'll see this. I mean, you'll see these stores, I bet, someday, you know, 
lumped in with all sorts of other consumer goods. They'll, they'll quit being bookstores. Like the bookstore, you know, for Amazon, like why have a bookstore if you don't care that it's books? Like eventually you're going to have all sorts of other things get rolled into these stores because like, like why not? Like if you're doing this all based on consumer review, there's no reason not to add in completely seemingly disparate items that you could just lump books onto anyway, you know? It's like going to Costco and then going down the bookshelf. Yeah. Like which is right – conveniently right next to the winter coats and cheese exactly. at my local Costco. <laughs> so it's exactly. where I like to hang out. But there's something, you know, but I think that, I mean, you know, death death knell is obviously a little strong, but there is something really interesting happening here with this concept that books to, the to you know, this company, they don't need to be all the emotional things we view books to be in order to move them. You know, there's, and, something, there's something that concerns me yeah. about this. And it's something that, you know, on one hand is really, really good. And that's that... At the brick-and-mortar Amazon store, everything is face-out. Everything mm-hmm. has a place of prominence. And while that's good because it means that, you know, every book gets a fair shake, um, it's also bad because it doesn't allow – there, there's not enough shelf space to allow for discoverability. And so, you know, on one hand, like, yay, you know, the books that have 10,000 reviews on Amazon have totally earned it. But on the other hand – like, what about the book that only has 200 reviews on Amazon, the book, the book that I will love? Like, how do I find that book? Well, it does put, it, it does put in, um, an immense amount of emphasis on crowdsourced opinion, right? Like, because all these, you know, the things that get the prominent spots are purely based on sheer amount of user reviews. You know, like, there's much less room for, like, there's no use sales-wise for the niche title that only a few people like, but it's a hidden gem. Like like you're saying, that's that's a useless category to Amazon. Like why? Why have that? Like because yeah, you're not trying point. to sell that emotional experience. You don't care. And I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. And I think it, what might be even more interesting is seeing how independent bookstores try to, you know, leverage some of these um, interesting techniques of organization to sort of move their own products. Um, but I think this was the beginning of something really, you know, different interesting. and interesting. And it's going to be um, one more thing to just kind of keep an eye on because um, the more Amazon can treat books like things that aren't books, um, it's it's going to spell change for a lot of publishers. Yeah. Yeah. The I think indie bookstores are going to have to do more than one tiny shelf with employee recommends. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Like, uh, who, honestly, <laughs> who cares if an employee recommends it when, t- when I can go over to this other table where 10,000 people have recommended it? I don't care what your clerk thinks. I'd rather I go care. over here. Well, of course you care, but you do it for sentimental reasons, not that's, because it's good for business. That's very true. That's like, very no, true. I'm with you. And I love, like, I'm someone who loves going to the bookstore. So when I look at this, I think, you know, this is probably more efficient. And maybe, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, publishing needs that, you know, needs to be more efficient on, you know, certain things. It needs to get better at selling things because it is terrible at selling things. Um, So a lot of this could be useful, but Amazon isn't interested in like furthering book publishing. It's interested in moving product. And the more it can treat books like product, um, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. So... It's conference season. <laughs> hard turn. But. Which, <laughs> hard turn. It is conference season. Um, pretty much now until like October is yeah. conference season yeah. for us with maybe like a month there in the middle where like nobody wants to leave their house because it's too hot. Um, but that means it's time for Eric to complain about writing conferences. Excuse me. <laughs> that, that is not what we talked about. Uh. <laughs> it's a little bit true. So... Writing conferences. Well, let me let me just start 
um, with just the, a concept that I think that um, you know there are sort of two things going on here. There's the writing. There's pub. There's the publishing industry as everyone understands it, which consists of like publishers and booksellers and all this stuff. And then there's the writing industry, right? Which sort of consists of conference organizations and magazines specifically geared toward um, writing resources and you know getting helping get you published, right? The like section the section of the bookstore that says like how to get published, exactly, and, and like writing guides and Stephen and so, King's on writing, all of these things. So I want to and I want to look at that today, and you know we bring up writing conferences because that's the biggest most tangible way it's what we're involved in exactly also. and it's also just like the most you know biggest physical example of this sort of industry taking place and so let's let's start here um and you polled people on this earlier today it'll be interesting I'm... it'll be interesting to see what people say when that's done but um why why do you write like what what's good about a writing conference like why go to one like what is the or what is the purpose of going to a writing conference laura well, I, I did a very scientific <laughs> poll this afternoon on Twitter. Yeah. So I have 77 votes. Um, and the options I gave are so, – so the tweet was, I love writers' conferences because – option number one, because of the valuable classes. Option number two, because I can pitch to agents. Option number three – for the community. And option number four, I don't like writing conferences. They don't help. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turns out that overwhelmingly, 47% of my very scientific poll of 77 people like to go for the community. Okay. So um, that's interesting. It makes right? sense, though. It does make sense. But what I think is interesting about that is that actually has nothing to do with the content of the conference. Correct. Right. It's. It's. I mean, it's <laughs> acknowledging that writing is a solitary endeavor, and then you go to somewhere where everybody else is, you know, experiencing the same ups and downs as you. That makes sense. Twenty-five um, percent of everyone said that they are excited to go to conferences because they can pitch to agents. Sure. And then nineteen percent said that they like to go because of valuable classes and programming, which leaves you know a full nine percent saying that they don't like to go to conferences because they don't help. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I teach at writing conferences. I love going to writers' conferences. Because um, I don't. <laughs> I, I like doing it because I get to meet people that are really passionate and they remind me like when I'm at home at 10.30 p.m. like eating cheese and like hating all of the submissions in my inbox. Sure. Like it reminds me that there are people that are passionate and there are good stories out there that will become good and that's nice. Yeah. Well, I also that, like that I get to meet people, like meet my fellow agents. So you're one of the community people. I guess that's a community thing, yeah. Sure. But I I will say that, you know, when I teach, when I go to conferences, I do more than just take pitches. I like to teach classes. Yeah. Um, and I like to teach, you know, classes for online conferences and do all sorts of stuff. Um, clearly, you know, even with our query show and first pages show, I value education for writers. But here's here's kind of where I'm playing my own devil's advocate is I don't necessarily think that the programming and writers conferences is very valuable. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't why don't you think that? Because I feel like a lot of the programming at writers' conferences, and and when I say it's not very valuable, I don't mean to say that it's not valuable. I mean to say that when you take all of the knowledge that is required to be a writer who has books published, 
the number of classes that are offered, the, the amount of programming is heavily skewed towards a very minuscule part of the process. So there's one, and this is, I want to make sure that we're getting what we're, because I am in agreement here, and this is kind of what we're going to talk about. Um, let's make sure we get this kind of point framed correctly, which is that there's a certain thing that gets talked about in all these classes and lectures and conferences and resources and online and all this stuff that is just so grossly overemphasized. And um, that is what, what get, is it? Writing queries and getting an agent and getting a book deal. Yeah. That's all it is. Like yep. like writing queries sucks. Yeah. But it's not that hard. Like right. you know, if you follow the directions, then chances are you'll probably do okay. You know, if you if you, you know, follow the if you follow the rules and you work really hard at it and you don't just kind of give it one shot then you'll be fine. Well, so this is this is my thing with it. Um, and, you know, and I you kind of observe these classes um, or these lectures that are all about, um, you know, and so many of like the, you know, the query tips or the write tips, you know, online. Tips and tricks. Are all about, it's sort of this endless discussion of like email formatting and conventions. Word count. Um, and yeah, and metadata and things like that. And if you like, you just, um, you know, it sort of sells this idea that if you form, if you just format the email correctly, or you just get the exact word count that supposedly fits the conventions of a certain type of book, or um, you know, if you just get, you know, like I think you know, you referred to it earlier this week as sort of the myth of the checklist, yeah. Right. If you just get these little specific non-writing things right, that somehow you're on some sort of fast track, or that you're ready to do it. And it's like my thought on that is it's really kind of a destructive thought for everyone because it just shallows out the writing conversation. And, you know, we talk, we had that episode where we talked about um, some of mostly my frustrations with writer Twitter. And this, it sort of speaks to the kind of a similar pulse, I think, which is that we're all just kind of talking about, um, we're just talking about emails. And we're just talking about how best to structure your paragraphs and how best to, you know, do these little pitches. And it's all this stuff that has nothing to do with an actual the actual writing of any sort of manuscript, yeah. you know. And I don't know. It's just kind of – it's like maybe this is how I put it. You're never – and I, I, this is going to sound unhopeful, but I mean it to be very hopeful, and I think that it is. You're never a pub tip away from <laughs> publishing a book. You know what I mean? Like you never are. And, and so sometimes – it just kind of disheartens me when I see people who take their, um, you know, their passion and the thing they really love the most and the thing they're, tr- you know, they like because it's this, you know, intellectual exploration or just a creative outlet, you know, that they really love and got into for reasons that have nothing to do with, <laughs> you know, emails and formatting and convention yeah. centers and just make it one more thing you've got to like get dressed up in business casual for and go to a convention center and like. It just bums me out. And like for me, when I go to writing conferences, something I see is that, and this isn't true of everyone, but so many people just look kind of uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> and and with for good reason, I think. It's just like everyone's just kind of their, you know, no one's really their best selves at a writing conference, you know, like I know. You know I eight, might be. <laughs> <laughs> fine. Um, but like I feel like most of the, you know, people are just kind of trying to get through it. They're trying to come away with some piece of information they feel they're missing that once they have, they'll be able to go off and have their publishing dream realized. And it just totally separates the idea 
of being a writer versus being published. It almost takes those two conversations and makes them totally separate. It makes them totally separate. And I, I wanna I wanna kind of reiterate something. We're we're kind of harping on query classes and all that stuff, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that you do have a barrier to entry, and that is yeah. following the conventions and following the rules. But the amount of attention that is put on the conventions and the rules pulls away from the most important part, which is the story. Well, that's what I'm – That's yeah, no, that's I think the point like, is that it's not as though talking about um, just this – this discussion about how best to you know pitch people or how best to talk about your book, all that's really important. But this endless conversation and these people, you know, these classes and these things that are about, in effect, just making sure you've got the right sentences in the right place. Like you and I, you know, we do a, um, you know, we do a monthly query show, right? Yeah. And one thing when you and I set out, you know, to start this show, is we really didn't want to make that a part of the main episodes, right? We wanted that to be separate. We wanted that to be, okay, you know, let's just give, you know, because we know writers are interested in this stuff, but let's make it a separate thing. Let's make it a devoted episode that someone can come to quickly, um, you know, get the information they need in as efficient and cheap a manner as possible. But it's more than just a pub tip. It's actual, like, critique and pulling it apart. No, exactly, exactly. It's just like, let's just take on this topic. Let's isolate it off away from the rest of the writing conversation and actually address it and then give people, you know, what they need. But have it, and then but, move on. <laughs> yeah, being, exactly. The, and the key bit being separate it and move on. And when I think of like which of our you know shows or like which of um, you know the stuff that I think is the most useful in becoming you know a good writer or even a good agent or an editor or anyone, it's never that kind of stuff. And yet that's very that's a super high volume of stuff. And obviously there are like there are craft classes and workshops and things that I think are more useful. And I don't really treat those as kind of the same as what we're talking about here. But but there aren't as many. There aren't as many. There and aren't as many. The presence of just constant discussion about you know if you just make your pitch this word count and you just make you know if you just do this when you're talking to an agent. It's like almost like a performance, right? Because how often have you seen like blog posts or things that say, you know, when pitching an agent in person, do this, 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 and this, and don't do this and avoid these things. And I'm just sitting there reading these things like, or we could just have a fucking conversation. Yeah. You my, know? my favorite like, thing, my favorite like, thing when I do pitches, and yeah. I actually, you know, I'm I'm really, really open about this, but you know, the first pitch that I ever took when I was a tiny baby agent, I was twenty-three years old. And I was sitting, I think I was in New York, and I was at a big conference, and a young, younger woman sat down, and she was holding her query in her hands, and she was shaking, and then she was crying because she was so nervous. Right. And it was like, I never want that to happen. Like, okay, so there is one benefit, mm-hmm. one, to pitching an agent in person. And guess what? It's not getting your book represented because there is nothing about a in-person pitch that will raise your chances raise the chances of me signing somebody it might you know because i'm minnesota and i'm awkward it might raise the chances (laughs) of me requesting something so if you truly like are terrible at you know writing about your book you know talking and having a conversation in person might be a little bit better but you know like tough titties but like guess what like when 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 you get published like the marketing and publicity people are going to have to have you write about and talk about your book anyway so it's not like you can just get past that and so the the real benefit 
of, of pitching to an agent in person is not like this is your only chance of like having them sign you. Yeah. Because guess what? An email works just as well and it's free. Right. Um, but being in person and talking to an agent gives you 10 uninterrupted minutes to workshop with them and to ask questions. To just have a human interaction. Have a human interaction (laughs) from somebody on the other side of the table and really kind of get like, you're never going to get feedback in an email query about whether the topic you're writing about is saturated in the market. Yeah. You know, or like whether you should say urban fantasy or contemporary fantasy. Like these types of things are, are in person only. And so... That very much is, you know, beyond the like the 10 minutes you just sit down, you just like do your pitch and and that's it and you're done. Like that's the wrong way to think about it. You want to think about it holistically. You want to think about, you know, when you go to writing conferences, you want to go sure to a to a query session and you want to pitch an agent. But you know what? You also want to go to that platform building class and you want to go to that goddamn taxes for writers class because (laughs) guess what? That's important. You know, you want to go to the world building and POV class. You know, you want to you want to make sure that you're integrating everything and you're not putting so much effort into one event or one task that's going to end up being all said five minutes of your writing career. Um, So for me, it feels like the writing discussion has become separate from the publishing discussion. And what I mean by that is these questions of, you know, that I think all the reasons that people want to be writers, right? The reason I want to be a writer, the reason anyone does, the reason anyone wants to be an agent or an editor, um, all these things about what it means to be good at that and what it means to you know produce good work and become better at a craft, all of that has become totally separate from this other conversation, which is how to be published. And it kind of it bums me out. And I wish that those things weren't quite so pulled apart as though publishing is this um, thing that requires, you know, a certain set of answers. And I think, you know, I, I, so I did some thinking. I was like, all right, well, why are these things so separate now? Like, why is there this whole cottage industry around teaching writers how to format emails? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's really strange. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Um, or I don't get, I do get it I, because it's useful information, but I don't get the volume of it, you know? Um, and I think it's because there's this, I, there's this fear that any writer has um, and any person has with any sort of creative endeavor of not being noticed. Yeah. You know, and like if you don't, you know, you, your fear is that you'll produce some great masterwork of literature and then you'll get to the email stage and no one, you know, all these agents who spend all their time talking about their inboxes will never see your email. And because you didn't format it right, your book will never see the light of day. And, you know, it's sort of, the, it's almost like a, the starving arti- artist argument. It's writer FOMO. Exactly. It's like this idea. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of based on this fear that even though I've produced something great, no one's going to see it. And it's just one more thing that I feel like it's become too outsized of a fear. And because certain organizations and certain you know places know it's a fear, they know that they can sort of pull at it because it's easy to pull at it because it's easy to talk about formatting emails. Like that's an easy conversation to have. It's easy to lead a query class. It's easy to do this kind of stuff when really the harder conversations are, you know, how just anything remotely related to your actual work on the page, you know what I mean? And I guess for me, like the truth is that, you know, I get queries in all, and I think this is true of most agents, to be honest, and we can, you know, pretend and, you know, say whatever we want online or, 
you know, what kind of things we're looking at. But honestly, I do read every query. Yeah, and most, I, most and of us most, do. And most of them aren't formatted that well. <laughs> and most of them have, you know, aren't what I would tell someone to do if they were trying to format it or create it correctly. But that's the point here is that that isn't the point. Like, sure, it's more effective to do things a certain way, but I am going to look, and if it's interesting, I'm probably still going to request your pages, you know? I won't, but... (laughs) Well, that's interesting then. Um, But I guess, like, for me, so it's just, like, I just don't quite understand this. I guess maybe you've answered my question. You're telling me you are not interested in anything that isn't perfectly formatted in the way... Because that, that to me, then, would make me a little bit fearful. So perfectly formatted is, is different... I think in how I'm thinking with the way that it's taught. So like there are day long seminars that will teach you. You absolutely have to put your metadata paragraph at this point in the query and your log line has to be this long and you can't do this and you can't use movies to do your like that's bullshit. Like that's just people coming up with dumb rules. Like for me. It's just coming up with things to talk about. Yes. And be like when I when I say that, like I want something that's perfectly formatted, I want it skimmable. I want all of the metadata to be in one place. I don't care where it is. I just want it to be in one place. Well, sure. I mean, um, I, you know, I want it to be, you know, 350 words or less. And that's it. Like, that's all I care about. Yeah. No. I'm, and but it's not as though having those things done makes you any more likely to sign a book or not. No. You know, I mean, eventually it just I just wish that, there. you know, I, I think that there's sort of an outsized fear about not getting your pages read or not getting a fair shake because of all these like sort of arbitrary hoops that people have made. And it takes people away from thinking about their work and it gets people away from thinking about, um, you know, actually creating the book they want to create or, you know, like I, I guess I've never quite understood why someone would be more concerned with classification and word count and types of protagonists and certain tropes in a story before they just sit down and and write the book, you know? And it's like, write what you want and figure out how to pitch it later, you know, and do that quickly and don't let it consume you because, like, I don't know, I guess the few times I've been to writers' conferences, you know, there are some people, you know, who have varying varying degrees of, um, you know, confidence in convention halls and things, and there are some people who are really good at presenting themselves and there are people who aren't as good at presenting themselves. And the people who aren't as good, I think part of the reason they're not is because they've got this, like, outsized checklist in their heads of all these things they need to be and say and be ready to, you know, all this, like, mechanical information they need to consume. And I just – I think that that conversation needs some resetting a little bit. Yeah. I think it's on um, writers to stay focused on their work. I think it's on people like you and me to honestly wait those you know these topics of you know querying as opposed to sort of making them more heavy than they need to be because they're easy to talk about like i do think the reason it happens is because it's easy advice to give out you know so and and it's and it's manageable like it's if you've got somebody that like speaking from an agent like i'm you know big and scary like at a conference people are very afraid to you know they're very nervous i shouldn't say afraid they're very nervous to come up and talk to you and, and take your classes and all of that. And there it's an it's an easy thing to focus on because it's small and yeah. it's consumable and and it's objective. Yeah. You know, and it's less about all the and it has nothing to do with any of the reasons any of us like any of this. That's true. <laughs> you know? I mean, and I... it just it just bums <laughs> me out. Like I know and I I'm beating this drum, but like it's 
I, I really I really dislike it. I'm really suspicious of this sort of writer, you know, a lot of writer adjacent resources that, you know, just pump out blog post after blog post about here's how to pitch or, you know, here's, you know, the latest trends in, you know, getting, you know, certain metadata, you know, correct. It's just like I, I really, really dislike that stuff. And I see that it's useful in a lot of regards because you do need it, and you know, like – but you need it once, you know. And, and you need craft all the time. And exactly. And that information certainly already exists. Like think about who your favorite author ever is, you know, or even like contemporary earlier on, whatever. That Like do you like that person because – or do you think that person got to their station because they were like really, really good at sending – you know, well-formatted queries. Like, they probably did They do probably that. sent one good they one. They probably did do that. But, like, that has nothing to do with why they're memorable to you or why you want to write like them or any of this other stuff. And people, you know, could say, well, these are separate, you know, these are separate conversations and you got to think about each one in turn. And that's true. But what I think you and I are saying is that this other part is taking up at least 50% of the airspace in writing conversation and that's and it needs 10 it needs to be like 10 or 5 and yeah. it's way too much and it sort of sucks the art and craft out of the you know the writing process and the I don't know it just it to me it just feels really disingenuous like what are we what are any of us talking about personally you know? I I made a um I made a deal with myself this year yeah. that I didn't want to give another like dumb query show. Like yeah. I didn't I didn't want to open up my PowerPoint on my computer of one of my three different how to write a query <laughs> yeah. or like yeah. how to write a query classes. I don't want to do that. And I'm I'm going to like a lot of conferences there yeah. this year, which yeah. I also didn't intend to do. Yeah. Um but instead I challenged myself to do something a lot more difficult, and that was to teach craft classes. Yeah. And so, you know, it's something that I am, am really doing for the first time. And it takes way more, more time to prep. But, you know, I have right now currently running with Manuscript Wishlist Manuscript Academy, um, which is an online writers conference. I have a class right now on voice and point of view. And that is the class that has gotten me the most queries out of any class I've ever done. Well, it's an actual conversation <laughs> about writing. Yeah. It's an and actual conversation about writing. respond to that as opposed to... And the quality of the submissions are so much higher than just like a generic, yeah. here's a query, I might yeah. be interested in this. Yeah. So I think I think it serves everybody to to bring the conversation of writing back into the fold. You so know, is, and more yeah. than just your first page, more than just your first three chapters. But even though, even, but even like, you know, first page and first three chapter stuff, at least that's about the book. Yeah. Like, I get why, like, at least that's like trying to become a better writer on the page. Like, I understand that at least a little bit. I mean, insofar as you're trying to, you know, it can kind of slip into checklisty stuff if you're trying to just pander to someone's, you know, preferences for what they want in that first page. But like, I guess my advice for people going to writing conferences is, if you're going to go, and you should go because, like, the community thing that people are pointing real. to, that's real. And that's, but that has nothing to do with what I feel like is the, like, you'll notice from that poll is very few people said because the conference has useful information. And it's like, if the conference doesn't have useful information, then why go? To but, find critique partners. Exactly. And so the reason, the, what you want to do, I feel like, at these places is do things that you can't Google, you know? Like sometimes we want to make these processes so much more complicated than they are, 
And the answer probably at these conferences is to spend your time, you know, paying attention. And this goes to your writing and reading life, you know, away from, you know, by yourself too. Spend time on things that aren't just mechanical information you could easily find online. Spend time thinking about things that aren't in the, you know, the one query show of ours you listen to. You know what I mean? It's like that's all you need is just like one, you know, post or like, you know, just Google it quick or like listen to us one time on one of our shows or like do anything other than spend your whole, you know, aching writer brain (laughs) thinking about this stuff too much, you know? And I think your work will improve. Your confidence will certainly, I mean, it can't, it can't hurt it to spend more time thinking about all the reasons you actually like doing this stuff. It's like, I guess for me, like there's this constant conversation about pitching and emails and crap. It, it just drives me nuts and it just feels so flat and it's like not why any of us on either side of the divide like this. And it's, you know, I feel like the conversations and the work suffers as a result. Yeah. So spend, you know, spend your time on real things. You know, if you're, if you're paying money to talk with an agent for 10 minutes, don't ask them about how long your manuscript should be. Yeah, exactly. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. That's a great distilling of it because that's (laughs) stuff. No, it is because that's something that you can get very easily in a quick search you know like spend if you have someone's attention and you you know use it for something that really matters to you you know that that will help you for more than just the query stage yeah so that i think brings us to our (laughs) pub tip of the day ironically to the exact bit of content we were just railing against um no well i mean today i think that the you know the tip is just to follow the fucking guidelines it's not that hard. Just look it like up. When that's you the query, tip for today. That's all it is. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to spend on, I'm not doing it on this show, um, on this particular episode. Like, the answer, you know, for queries is just quick look it up. And no one you'll is, be happier. Yeah. Everyone else will be happier. Your writing will, you'll, it'll just become less of a drag, man. Yeah. I don't know. Ten, you know, <laughs> ten different <laughs> websites about how to write a query letter. They're not going to say anything different. Just, just like the, find one. Do it. Follow the guidelines based on the agency about whether to include pages or not, and then just like make sure it's good, and then send it. There's just such a content That's all farm it is. around this stuff, you know. You just don't need it. Like, um, like don't don't say, well, you say that it. Like Lauren Eric says, it doesn't matter. So I'm just doing it however I want. Like, no, don't it, do that. Like absolutely matter. follow it, guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> but just like don't make it everything. Yeah. Just don't make it everything. Yeah. So that <laughs> that is our ironic but still very important pub tip of yeah. the day. Yeah. Um, and we'd love to hear from all of you, you know, those who attend writers conferences, those who went and decided it wasn't for them, those who have never been and are thinking about it. You know, we'd love to we'd love to talk a little bit more about this and about, you know, if, especially if you're planning a conference or you're teaching at a conference, maybe yeah. about the different programming that you can provide. We'll talk about it. So anyway, uh, remember our April special episodes, our query show where we um, do exactly this, but more specifically, uh, goes live next Thursday, April 13th. Our first pages show goes live April 27th. Um, I feel like at this point we should now tease at some point we are going to be adding a third special episode, yeah. which is going to be on craft. Yeah, we'll have more. We'll have more on that in yeah. coming but weeks. Think, but think, you know, all that stuff that we were just saying you should know more about. We're going to have episodes on that (laughs) Um, (laughs) because uh, we, you know, put our radio show where our mouths are Um, and we will see you next week. Bye.